Chapter 8 Some Sources of Anxiety in Children Providing Emotional Safety Parents are aware that every child has a full share of fear and anxiety. They are not aware however of the sources of such anxiety. Parents frequently ask, "Why is my child so fearful?" One father went so far as to say to his anxious child, "Stop this utter nonsense. You know you have nothing to be afraid of." It may be helpful to describe some of the sources of anxiety in children and to offer some ways of coping with anxiety. Anxiety due to fear of abandonment, reassuring through preparation. A child's greatest fear is of being unloved and abandoned by parents. As John Steinbeck put it so dramatically in East of Eden, the greatest terror a child can have is that he is not loved. and rejection is the hell he fears and with rejection comes anger and with anger some kind of crime in revenge one child refuses the love he craves kicks the cat and hides his secret guilt and another steals so that money will make him loved and a third conquers the world and always the guilt and revenge and more guilt a child should never be threatened with abandonment Neither in jest nor in anger should a child be warned that he or she will be deserted. One occasionally overhears an exasperated parent in the street or supermarket scream at a dawdling child, "If you don't come right away, I'll leave you here." Such a statement will arouse the ever lurking fear of abandonment. It fans the flames of fantasy of being left alone in the world. When a child dawdles beyond toleration, It is better to drag that child by the hand than to threaten with words. Some children feel frightened if a parent or caregiver is not home when they return from school. Their dormant anxiety of being abandoned is momentarily awakened. As already suggested, it is helpful to leave a message as to parents whereabouts on the bulletin board via email or by means of a tape recorder. The taped messages are especially helpful for young children. The parents' calm voice and loving words enable them to bear temporary partings without excessive anxiety. When the tides of life force us to be separated from our young children, separation must be preceded by preparation. Some parents find it hard to convey that they will be away for an operation, a vacation or a social obligation. Fearing their child's reaction, they sneak out at night or when the child is in school. and leave a relative or a sitter to explain the situation a mother of 3 year old twins had to undergo surgery the atmosphere at home was tense and troubled but the children were told nothing on the morning of hospitalization the mother with a shopping bag in hand pretended that she was going to the supermarket she left the house and did not return for 3 weeks the children seemed to wilt during this time The father's explanations were no consolation. They cried themselves to sleep every night. During the day they spent much time at the window fretting for their mother. Children take the stress of separation more easily if they have been prepared for the experience beforehand. Meaningful preparation requires much more than ordinary verbal explanation. It requires communication in the child's native language of toys and play, a language that talks to the child's heart. In another case, 2 weeks before entering the hospital, a mother told her daughter, "Jewet, age 3, about the pending event. 
Yvette showed little interest, but her mother was not fooled by the lack of curiosity. She said, let's play mother is going to the hospital. She produced a set of dolls, bought for this occasion or made with the child's help, which depicted the family figures, a doctor and a nurse. Which depicted the family figures, a doctor and a nurse. While manipulating the appropriate dolls and speaking for them, the mother said, Mommy is going to the hospital to get well. Mommy will not be home. Yvette wonders, where is mommy, where is mommy? But mommy is not home. She is not in the kitchen, not in the bedroom, not in the living room. Mommy is in the hospital to see a doctor to get well. Yvette cries, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. But mommy is in the hospital to get well. Mommy loves Yvette and misses her. She misses her every day. She thinks about Yvette and loves her. Yvette misses mommy too. Then mommy comes home and Yvette is so happy to hug and kiss her mommy. The drama of separation and reunion was played out by the mother and daughter over and over again. At first, her mother did most of the talking, but soon Yvette took over. Using the appropriate dolls, she told the doctor and nurse to take good care of mommy, to make her well and to send her home soon. Before her mother left, Yvette asked her to repeat the play once more. Yvette supplied most of the lines and ended her performance reassuringly. Don't worry mommy, I'll be here when you come back. Before leaving, her mother made several other helpful arrangements. She acquainted Yvette with the new nanny. She put a large photograph of herself and Yvette on the dresser and on a cassette she recorded several of Yvette's favorite stories for her to listen to before going to sleep as well as a loving message. During moments of inevitable loneliness, her mother's picture and spoken words reassured Yvette of the nearness of her mother's love. Anxiety due to guilt a little goes a long way. Wittingly and unwittingly, parents arouse guilt in children. Guilt, like salt, is a useful ingredient in flavoring life, but it must never become the main course. When a child has transgressed a rule of social or moral behavior, there is a place for disapproval and guilt. However, when a child is forbidden to have negative feelings or nasty thoughts, that child will inevitably have too much guilt and anxiety. To prevent unnecessary guilt, parents should deal with children's transgressions the way a good mechanic deals with a car that breaks down. He does not shame the owner. He points out what has to be repaired. He doesn't blame the car's sounds or rattles or squeaks. He uses them for diagnostic purposes. He asks himself, what is the probable source of the trouble? It is a great comfort for children to know inwardly that they are really free to think as they please without being in danger of losing their parents' love and approval. When there is disagreement, statements such as the following are helpful. You feel one way, but I feel another way. We feel differently on the subject. Your opinion seems true to you. My opinion is different. I respect your view, but I have another view. Unwittingly, parents may create guilt in children by being wordy and giving unnecessary explanations. This is especially true of parents who believe they must govern by consent even when the subject is intricate 
and the child immature. Five-year-old Zachary was angry with his nursery school teacher because she had been out sick for two weeks. On the day of her return, he grabbed her hat and ran out into the yard. Both his mother and teacher followed him. Teacher The hat belongs to me and it needs to be returned. Mother Zachary, you know perfectly well that the hat is not yours. If you keep the hat, Miss Martha may catch a cold and be sick again. She was sick, you know, for two weeks. Now, Zachary, you don't want your teacher to be sick again, do you? The danger is that such an explanation may make Zachary feel responsible for and guilty about the teacher's sickness. The long explanation was irrelevant and harmful. All that was necessary at that moment was to retrieve the hat. A hat in the hand is better than two explanations in the yard. Perhaps later the teacher will discuss with Zachary his anger about her absence and point out better ways of coping with it. Anxiety due to mistrust or impatience, giving a child room to grow. When a child is prevented from engaging in activities and assuming responsibilities for which he or she is ready, the inner reaction is that of resentment and anger. Little children do not quickly master skills with polished proficiency. They take a long time to tie their shoes, to button their coats, to put on their jackets, to unscrew the lid of a jar or to turn a doorknob. The best help that can be offered to them is tolerant waiting and a light comment about the difficulty of the task. It is not easy to put on a jacket. The lid of the jar is hard to unscrew. Such comments are helpful to the child whether failing or succeeding in the efforts. If the child succeeds, there is a satisfaction of knowing that a difficult chore was conquered. If the child fails, there is a consolation that his parents knew the task was hard. In either case, the child experiences sympathy and support, which leads to greater intimacy between parent and child. Failure at a task does not have to make the child feel inadequate. It is essential that a child's life not be ruled by the adult's need for efficiency. Efficiency is the enemy of infancy. It is too costly in terms of the child's emotional economy. It drains the child's resources, prevents growth, stifles interests, and may lead to emotional meltdowns. Children need opportunities to experiment, struggle, and learn without being rushed or insulted. Another due to anxiety due to friction between parents, the civil war with uncivil consequences. When parents fight, children feel anxious and guilty. Anxious because their home is threatened, guilty because of their actual or imagined role in the family friction. Justifiably or not, children often assume that they are the cause of domestic strife. Children do not remain neutral in the civil war waged by their parents. They side either with their father or mother. The consequences are harmful to character development. When parents are forced to compete for their children's affection, they frequently use means such as bribery, flattery, and lies. The children grow up with divided loyalties and abiding ambivalence. Furthermore, the need to protect one parent from the other and the opportunity to play one parent against the other 
leave a mark on children's characters. From early childhood, they become aware of their inflated worth to the bidding rivals and they put an ever-increasing price on themselves. They learn to manipulate and exploit, to plot and blackmail, to spy and gossip. They learn to live in a world where integrity is a liability and honesty a hindrance. Parents may manage their differences in calm discussion or save them for private time. While it is helpful for children to know that parents have differences that require negotiation, it is not helpful for children to witness their parents attacking each other. This situation is exacerbated when parents divorce and the children are used as pawns in the ongoing battle between them. Often they are asked to spy on the other parent, encouraged to complain about that parent and to show a preference. They are also used as a conduit for transmitting unpleasant messages. When that happens, life certainly does not improve for the children. Often children have to assume the adult role by reassuring their parents that they love both of them. For children of divorced parents, life is problematic enough without being subjected to the continued unpleasantness that led to the divorce. They need to be reassured that they are loved by both parents and that they will not be involved in their parents' squabbles. After a divorce, children also need time to mourn the loss of their secure home and to get adjusted to their new reality. Anxiety due to life's end, an enigma veiled in mystery. To adults, the tragedy of death lies in its irreversibility. Death so final and eternal is the end of all hope. Therefore, death is personally inconceivable. We cannot imagine our own secession, the dissolution of our own selves. The self consists of memories and hopes of a past and a future, and people cannot see themselves without a future. The consolation that faith brings belongs precisely in this realm. It offers people a future so they may live and die in peace. If death is a riddle to adults, to children it is an enigma veiled in mystery. Young children cannot comprehend that death is permanent, that neither parents nor prayers can bring back the departed. The futility of magic wishes in the face of death is a severe blow to children. It shakes their belief in their power to influence events by wishful thinking, and it makes them feel weak and anxious. What children see is that, in spite of tears and protests, a beloved pet or person is no longer around. Consequently, they feel abandoned and unloved. Their fear is reflected in the question often asked of parents. After you die, will you still love me? Some parents try to protect their children from the experience of pain and grief inherent in the loss of someone they loved. If a goldfish or turtle dies, they hurry to replace it with a new one, hoping that the child will not notice the difference. If a cat or dog dies, they rush to offer the grieving child a prettier and costlier substitute. What lessons do children learn from these early experiences of sudden loss and quick replacement? They may conclude that the loss of loved ones is of no great importance, that love may easily be transferred and loyalty easily shifted. Children and adults should not be deprived of their right to grieve and to mourn. They should be free to feel sorrow in the loss of someone loved. 
children's humanity is deepened and their character ennobled when they can lament the end of life and love the basic premise is that children should not be excluded from sharing the sorrows as well as the joys that inevitably arise in the course of family life when a death occurs and the child is not told what happened he or she may remain shrouded in nameless anxiety or the child may fill the gap in knowledge with fearful and confused explanations they may blame themselves for the loss and feel separated not only from the dead but also from the living the first step in helping children face their loss is to allow them to express fully their fears fantasies and feelings comfort and consolation come from sharing deep emotions with a listener who cares the parents may also put into words some of the feelings that a child is bound to have but may find it difficult to express for example after the death of a grandmother to whom the child was attached a parent might say you miss grandma you miss her a lot you loved her so much and she loved you you wish she were with us you wish she was still alive it is hard to believe that she died it is hard to believe that she's no longer with us you remember her so well you wish you could visit her again such statements convey to children the parents interest in their feelings and thoughts and encourage them to share their fears and fantasies they may want to know whether dying hurts whether the dead ever come back whether they and their parents will ever die the answers should be brief and truthful when one dies the body feels no pain a dead person does not return all people eventually die in talking to children about death it is best to avoid euphemisms when told that her grandfather went to his eternal sleep one 4 year old girl asked if he took his pajamas with him she was also afraid that grandpa was angry at her because she had not said good night to him before he went to sleep when told that grandmother went to heaven and became an angel one 5 year old boy prayed that the rest of the family would die and become angels too When a child is given the facts simply and honestly accompanied by an affectionate hug and a loving look that child feels reassured this approach is effective when the parents themselves have accepted the realities of life and death in all matters of importance attitudes speak louder than words growing up isn't easy it is filled with disturbing thoughts and feelings such as doubt guilt and especially anxiety Children are afraid of being abandoned or troubled by parental conflict and confused and worried about death and dying. Parents cannot eliminate all of their children's anxiety, but they can help them cope better when they express understanding of their children's concern and prepare them for disturbing and fearful events.